with you on this beautiful fall day. You got to take them when you can get them, right? That's right. got to take them while you can get them. You never know what will happen in New England. That's for sure. Um, that's the one constant. You don't know what to expect. There you go. All right. Um, anyways, if you don't know me, my name's Rashad. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I do the bulk of the teaching here on Sunday afternoons. I'm getting used to not saying morning now. Sunday afternoon is becoming the norm now, all right. And, um, yeah, we've been in a series in Acts. We'll be in it for a year. Um, and the, the series is called Advancing God's Mission, and God has a mission to restore and to redeem and to make his kingdom known in all of the world. And he's decided that he would use his church, his followers, to make that known to the world. And what we're saying is we want to be a people who emulate our lives after what the church did and what, and what the church, God has called the church to be in our world. And so let me pray for our time, because I want to pray this into, into reality, pun intended. I want to pray this into our church, and I want to pray this, that this would be the reality in the world around us, that Jesus is Lord. So, Lord, we, we come to you this afternoon, and we thank you that your word is alive and it's active. And we thank you that your word says that when we gather, that you are here in the midst of us. And so we just say that. You're welcome here. Um, we thank you for your presence. And we ask that you would transform us from the inside out. Fill us. Meet us where we're at. And um, God, please send us into the world to transform it for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about verse 1, and then, I'm gonna, then we're going we're gonna to go. We're going to go. I have a lot to say, and I'm going to try to do it in a little bit of time. All right, so just stick with me, and just pepper in those amens, or I see that hand every once in a while, all right? Okay, good, good, good. All right. Um, so where we find the disciples right now is they're in a town called Antioch. It's about 300 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And for the most part, our story has taken place in and around Jerusalem. And so Antioch became the new place of God's activity after Stephen's death, after he was murdered, and um, they, it says the disciples scattered, and so they went to Antioch, and God began to form a community in Antioch, and so at one point, Jerusalem was the, the center of the church's activity, and evangelism to the Jewish community, and once they got scattered, God's movement began to happen in Antioch. And so what we see with Antioch, it's starting to become um, the center and the hub of the activity of the church. And so this is this is the shift, because what we're going to see now is from now on, Saul's going to be called Paul, and Gentiles are going to begin to come into the church in droves. And so what I want you to remember from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascended into the heaven to the right hand of the Father, he says that you will be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they are beginning to move outside of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And now they're in Antioch. They're to places, they're in places that they've never been before, that they didn't have vision for, for, for the kingdom of God. And it's, it says in Acts 11 that in Antioch, fascinating, that it's the first time that they were called Christians. 
I think there's something in being outside of our comfort zone and the comforts of home for our witness to be seen. It says also that when they are in Antioch, that the hand of the Lord was with them. This is, this is an important detail that we're going to hit throughout this sermon, throughout this, te- this text. But the, the hand of the, the Lord was with them, and it says that people were coming to the Lord in droves, and God's church was growing. So there, the church was in Antioch, and there in, this, in the church were prophets and teachers, and, and, and it's important that, 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 um, that Luke in, in puts this in this passage because this is, um, as we read on through the epistles, this is how God establishes a local church. He brings in prophets and teachers and pastors. Ephesians 4.11 says this, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Can you hear me in the back? All right, just want to make sure. Sometimes I move away from the microphone. Anyways, so this is how Christ, this is how he's building his church. He has a foundation of apostles and teachers and evangelists and pastors. Um, And their job is to equip the saints, to equip the people for the work of the ministry. The prophets and teachers, their function was like an office for the early church. The prophets conveyed divine revelation of what God brought to mind. Um, Sometimes Old Testament understanding, sometimes new insights into how God is directing the church. The teachers built upon the apostolic word of, of planting this new church in Antioch and continued the teachings of the word and the message of Jesus to the young disciples in the young church. Church, we need not only to be taught, we need teachers, but we also need the prophetic. We, we're in an age where we're full of content. We have hundreds of thousands of podcasts and Bible teachers and millions of translations of the Bible, and it's great, and we need teachers, but we also need the prophetic. We need revelation. Like, you can have content, 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 but we need, God, what do you want me to do with this? God, what are you saying with all this words in Scripture to this church right here on Newberry Street? What are you saying to me about this city in 2021 amidst the pandemic, amidst uh, a racial divides and political divides? What are you saying prophetically? What's the revelation of your Scripture for us right here, right now? Anybody with me? All right. We gather, we gather here as a church to be built up, to be sent out. You build, we, we're not coming to accumulate facts or to tally a bunch of like church attendance. Man, I got perfect attendance all year. Like, yeah, like that's not, like that's good. But the point is to be built up, to be sent out, to be a force in the world. The church in Antioch was a home base for missions. And you see that Paul, this was one of his primary bases where he did three missionary journeys from this place called Antioch. Church, we are, we are a launching pad for new kingdom outposts in the world. 
See, God, like, man, Acts is so exciting. Like, every chapter, like, something wild happens. You're like, God, God is doing groundbreaking things. He's breaking down divides between Gentiles and Jews and women and Hellenistic folks. He's breaking down all these walls. He's filling human beings with his spirit. He's killing people. He's doing amazing things. And the disciples, they're like, they're, they're like, they give their lives to it. And they're, we catch them right here hungering for more. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It says while they were worshiping. There w- it wasn't some crisis. There wasn't something that they were at. They needed from the Lord. Like they were, this was their posture. This was who they were. If you caught them, this is what you will catch them doing, seeking the face of God. The word worshiping means, in some translations, it says ministering. It's where we get the word liturgy. It implies that that the people of God were seeking God's will through their worship. Actively seeking God. Willie Jennings in his commentary on Acts says this, Whenever women and men give themselves to the disciplines that attune the body to its hunger for the spirit, they will find themselves receptive to the voice of God. And they will, heal the, they will hear the Spirit speaking and offering guidance. When we turn up the heat of our worship and our praying, and we sacrifice and we give ourselves to fasting, and we put ourselves in that posture, the Spirit of God speaks it's imperative that, that we posture our hearts to receive from God. Listen, do you know why they called them Christians in Acts chapter 11? Not because they had a bumper sticker, not because of who they voted for, not because of their haircut, because they actually were looking like Jesus in the way they loved and the way that they were ministering to the world around them. And we find a Jesus who says, apart from the Father, I could do nothing, who's rooted in the vine and who is operating out of a place of abiding with the Father. And the Spirit of God went with him everywhere he went. And they said, you guys remind us of him. If you want to hear from God, we have to seek him. This is what we find the church doing, seeking God. There's a hunger for God and his kingdom to come. And it's, it's matched with hunger. It's matched with the display. It's matched with the liturgy. Their practices, their lifestyles, what they pursued. It wasn't just I'm hungry for God, but I'm going about my life. It's hungry for God. I'm going to put it on display because I need him to show up. and I need his power in my life. And I want the direction of the spirit. God. And if you're wondering if there's notes, they'll be up on the website tomorrow. So you don't have to like write down everything. Okay. All right. God responds to hunger. God responds to prayer. And he shows up and he leads us to where he is working. Barnabas and Paul, 
they're, they're worshiping, they're seeking God, and in the midst of it, the Holy Spirit has set them apart, commissioned them to go. And it's the church's responsibility to send Saul, Paul, whatever, he's the same person, two names, and Barnabas out. You with me? All right. A couple of you. All right. You're taking notes. All right. Like, they're praying. They're seeking God. Like, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want you to keep doing these things that you're doing. We want to join you in it. And the Holy Spirit says, set apart Saul and Barnabas. I got a job for them to do. I want you to catch this. God, first of all, he doesn't send us alone. Second, God speaks to us in community. The worshiping together. And then third, God sends us from a place of community. He sends the church's responsibilities to send them to go do his work. And fourth, and you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again, the church is a movement. The church is a living organism. It's Jesus' body and it's a movement and it's meant to go into the world as an outpost for the kingdom. Have I given you my donut story? All right. <laughs> so this, this, is, this is amazing. We, we live a little bit outside the city, and so we don't get all the best in the finest places that I like to go to. But recently, something's been happening. We've been giving these phenomenal businesses that are coming near us. And so I'm going, you know, just doing my suburban dad thing to TJ Maxx on a Saturday morning, and I see Union Street Donuts Outpost. I'm like, oh, man, God is good. God is alive. And thank you that you're extending this beautiful ministry of donuts out to the outer Burrows of Boston. <laughs> Anyways, that's, if, if you love Unistry Donuts, you would understand what I'm saying. That you're like, man, I, I don't have to go all the way in here to get um, maple bacon. Maple bacon is starting to come to me. <laughs> Anyways, the point is that like, we're, we're outposts. Like, we are people that God sends and scatters all throughout the world and says, yes, set up kingdom of God, like relational temples right here. So people, so people are walking as they're going about their life and running and encountering the people of God. You see, the, the church is a movement, and movements can't be led with spectators, only with willing, active participants submitted to the Spirit's leading. And I just, I just want to say this to every one of us who have said yes to Jesus. We all have a part to play in what God is doing. We are all called by God to, to do his work. This is our purpose in life. And if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, you're like, I don't know what God has for me to do. Here's what I want to say to you. Give yourself to prayer in Christian community and God will speak. My most profound moments that, that have moved me to new places and, and calling has been from a place of community, from church and a place of prayer and hearing from God and going, man, yes, Lord. One commentator, Craig Keener, says this, prayer normally precedes the sending of laborers. It's from a place of prayer that God sends us out into doing his work. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 10, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. We see that the Lord, as the 
church is seeking him, that he's adding to the church daily. We see it all through the book of Acts. And then we enter 2021, and we feel like God is subtracting from the church daily. And I, and I think, I, think I, I just think that what Jesus is saying is, seek, knock, ask. Like, seek, knock, ask. That gets the sails up. That catches the wind of the Spirit. Our preferred future is not wrapped up in a better building or a marketing scheme, but in the clasping of the hands and the seeking of the face of God. I, I guarantee you, church, if we would commit to being a people that seek his face, that God would move. Verse 3 says, After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. When the hand of the Lord is with you, he will send you. And it's not always another time zone or a different state. Sometimes it's just a different route. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's an invitation. Sometimes when the hand of the Lord is on you and he's sending you, he's sending you to step out and use your gifts. He's saying he's equipped the church with everything it needs to prosper and to be a blessing to the world. That's what we're here for. And every single one of you have a gift. Every single one of you are a priest called by God. Every single one of you have the spirit of God in you. He's giving you something to bring to the table for the flourishing of this community. If God's hand's on you, God's hand is pushing you out to be a blessing. And so they, they, they're, they're, their hands are placed on them, they're called out, and they don't completely know how the future will unfold, will unfold. But here's what we know, that God has their yes, and the church has their back. Verse 4, the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to, we're going to call it Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. So they hopped. They're worshiping. They're seeking the God for his kingdom. Holy Spirit says, you too, go. They say, okay, we'll go. Church commission, we got your back. We got provisions. We'll go. They, they, they go to the port and they sail to Cyprus. That's the instructions that they have. And they're going all around this island of Cyprus. And it says they're going in all these different synagogues. And they're just, they're, they're preaching Jesus. And they get to the capital, Paphos. And it's the political capital of Cyprus. And something different happens when they get here. Verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was the attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Up to this point, it seemed like things are going really, really good First of all, the boat made it to the island. That's the praise, right? That's, this is not modern world, people. The boat made it to the island. They have, they have open doors to go communicate the message of the gospel. And then lastly, there's a, the governor wants to hear the word of God and extends an invitation to them to teach them, to teach him. But one small detail that, that I think sometimes gets squeezed out that you might have missed, um, they met a Jewish sorcerer. I finally watched all the Harry Potters. Don't, don't judge me. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> so I know in your mind, you hear sorcerer, you're thinking this guy has a wand. I don't know if he had a wand. I didn't say so. I don't think he had a wand. Anyways. <laughs> they meet a Jewish 
sorcerer. I gotta hold it in. All right. It's a serious moment here. Um, his name's Bar Jesus, meaning son of Jesus. And he's an assistant to the governor. So he probably, probably some kind of spiritual advisor. It probably was a really good job for a false prophet. Really good job. And so we get that God's hand is with Saul and Barnabas. So much so that the government is asking them to teach them the word of God. Verse 8 says this, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith, from the faith. Also, because I'm not reading any scripture anymore, this is me talking, it's the same voice. Also, because the hand of the Lord is with them, they are publicly, verbally, and spiritually opposed. Sometimes when we think the hand of the Lord is with us, we think everything should go right. Everything should be smooth. Everything should be uh, open highways. Because the hand of the Lord is on them, they experience opposition. One commentator says this, It was expected that false prophets opposed true prophets and even sought to have them killed. Why? I mean, it, 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 it undercut their business, Right? Can't have true prophets coming around here because their business is built on deception and lies. If you write anything down, advancing God's mission will be contested. I think I have time for this story. Okay. <laughs> That's a, Anyways, we, when we, we lived in Brooklyn, we, had, we planted a church in a neighborhood, and um, we did a lot of ministry to, to the kids of the neighborhood. We partnered a lot with Young Life, and we began to have droves of young people from the community coming into our church. And slowly, they began to inquire about Jesus, get discipled, and slowly they began to say, we're ready to take the next step in baptism. And so we're having our first baptism service with these kids from the neighborhood who or just finding new life in Jesus. And we meet at a public high school, and we're preparing the baptismal, and we're getting ready, and we're doing our pre-service prayer, and everyone's excited, and we got the photography, and they got cool shirts, you know, for the, for the IG and everything, right? Um, and literally, the workers of this school lose their minds. People that we have good relationship, all of a sudden they're like, no, you can't do this. The toilet starts overflowing. I mean, he's like, everyone has to leave the building. And I'm just, and it was one of those moments. There's this one quote that says, more coincidence happen when I pray. And so it's like, man, more things happen when I pray. You can say this, this guy was just in a bad mood, but the, the moment was so important and it was so uncharacteristic. This felt like a direct opposition to the work that God wanted to do with these young people on the stage. And we literally had to have a heated debate and risk our, our opportunity to even meet in this school for the future to disobey the orders to baptize these people this day. And I just want to say, sometimes God calls us to do something, and he's doing something, and we experience resistance and it being contested, and we feel like maybe that's not him, and we go the other way, and that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. You get confronted when you become a threat. Jesus 
Jesus over and over again, as he's bringing the kingdom of God, he's being confronted over and over again by religious leaders, by the law, by the demoniac over and over again. These things are not just coincidences. Jesus is bringing light. He's subverting the world by bringing in his kingdom. And the enemy and the forces of this world are diametrically opposed to it. So if we think that we're just going like to go on our jobs or walk down the street or do homeless ministry and go, man, I'm just, I got the love of God and don't think you're going to not be greeted with some hostility, right? Because if you're stepping into new ground, if you're a threat to bringing the kingdom of God in, you're going to be met. This is why Jesus says that the, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because the gates of hell are going to come against the church. And he writes, says, we would much prefer the story to be one of a gentile, a gentle persuasion rather than a confrontation. Right? We would rather just like, hey, let's reason. Hey, let's just, let's talk this out. No, there, there are times where, this, where, where the kingdom of God is coming and it's hotly contested. And he writes, also says, there is no advance for the gospel without opposition. So what are Paul and Barnabas confronted with? Verse 9, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you ever, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? He's confronted with an enemy that leads with deceit and trickery and intentional opposition to Jesus. His name is Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, or or Joshua, but he's actually, you're actually the son of the devil. Listen, what God has called us to, what God has called you to, isn't easy. It's not going to be popular. It's not the path of least resistance. You might actually experience opposition, and I'm letting you know that you might be on the right path if you do. This story is a power encounter. And I say power encounter, this story is whose God is stronger? Whose God is more mighty? Let's see. I.e. Moses and Pharaoh sorcerers. I.e. Peter and Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8. Jesus and the demoniac. Jesus and the tomb. Whose God is greater? Because the closer we get to freedom the greater the resistance. I I imagine that God is doing something in many of you in this room in your experience, resistance, because God's doing something in your close. God's mission is a rescue mission. It's hotly contested. And these forces want to bring traffic, Boston traffic, to the movement of God. And here's how they bring traffic, by detouring, detracting, distracting, bringing fear so that we will not bring freedom to those who are captive. This case is an overt challenge. This, this sorcerer is saying, I'm not going to let you get through to this one. Though God has him marked, God is, 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 is after him, and he's open, this sorcerer is saying, you're not going to get to him. 
I'm going to stop you. I'm going to oppose God. I'm going to oppose the work of Jesus. This is a power encounter. And God right here is going to demonstrate that he is El Shaddai. That he is God Almighty. That the gods of the day, that this, the spirituality without Jesus is void and powerless in the face and the presence of Jesus. And I know sometimes, if you've been around a church long enough, you've heard a lot of sanitized Bible stories and lessons. But I'm just going to shoot straight with what happens here. There's, there's a time where God says enough. There's, there's a time and a place where God says, I'm going to show you my power. Where he says, you've gone too far, and he stops people in his tracks. He stops evil in his tracks. Because we can't forget that he's a holy God, that he's the king of creation, and that he's a king of all creation. So he sits on a throne, and his throne is built on righteousness and justice. And he's zealous to save, zealous to rescue, zealous to restore those who call upon his name. And we have Paulus, the governor, seeking God and a sorcerer trying to stand in the way, and God says, enough. Paul says, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. This spiritually blind guide is now physically blind and needs help to be led. God shows the powers of the world. Who holds power? God Almighty. He said, now the hand of the Lord is against you. We can't take God lightly. God will not be mocked. Don't take his silence, delay, or perceived inactivity as a form of weakness. In Samuel 5, we have a story of the Philistines defeating the, the, the people of God and taking the ark, which represented the presence of God amongst the people. In 1 Samuel 5, 6, they, they take it and they put it in their, in their temple. And it says, in 1 Samuel 5, 6, And the Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. Another power encounter. They take God's presence and they put him in, in front of their God, their God. And they put him in front of them. They said they go back in the next day and he's, that their God is laid prostrate down with arms ripped off. And they, it's a great story. I mean, you know what I mean. It's, yeah, the power of God. And they have, they're like, get rid of this. This is too heavy for us to handle. And it says, so much so their outcry of the city went up to heaven. They end up praying to God. One commentator said, since the sorcerer's loss of sight is temporary, maybe it's intended to bring the sorcerer to repentance. Maybe even God in his power, what seems like a tough judgment, is to show not only the governor, but the sorcerer who has true power. And who the true and living God is. All right. Final stretch. We're almost there. When God displays his power, even his enemies will say he is Lord. 
Listen, there's far more that God wants to do through us than we realize. Because when his hand is on his church, when his hand is on your life, everything changes. And opposition is an opportunity. So verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. What seemed like a crazy interaction was exactly what God used to show this official, to show this governor his power. Not only does this governor see God's power for himself, but it it makes a way, an opportunity for him to encounter the truth about who Jesus is. It says that he was amazed, astonished at the teaching about the Lord. When distractions are taken away, he was actually able to hear about Jesus. Church, listen, we have good news. Like this is good news that Jesus Christ took on the sin of the world, died on the cross, buried, broke through death, defeated the grave, raised to life, sit at the right hand of the Father, and offers eternal life in the kingdom of God to anyone who will say yes to that. He's like, this is good news. This is not what the sorcerer offered. This is not what the gods of my forefathers are offering me. This is amazing, astonishing news. And we have this. And we are meant to, to carry this good news into the world. And Jesus says that the world is wide open. It's ripe. Pray and ask God to send you. His hand and his presence is is with us. And listen, to change the world is to enter into battle that wants to congest and resist the king. And I'll end with this. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that there's a spiritual reality that's happening that's trying to thwart the kingdom of God. And so he says, put on the full armor of God. He's like helmet, breastplate, belt. Cover your feet with with the shield of the gospel. Have the word of God ready. And he says, but after all this, he says, pray. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. There's no other strategy. This is where the power of God is released into the church and into the world. Prayer. Prayer.